government being, among other purposes, instituted to protect the persons and consciences of men from oppression, it certainly is the duty of rulers not only to abstain from it themselves, but according to their stations, to prevent it in others. The words of President George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at the challenges facing the Republic this week. We'll cover the Democratic nomination race and the debate last night in great detail in our hot take segment and wrap with our Guardian of the Week discussion. Please make sure to subscribe and download every week and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. All right, so why don't we just jump in with the challenges that the Republic face this week? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I kind of want to get right to the debate last night, but we will wait and we will get to those in great detail in in our hot take segment. How is the Republic being challenged this week? Yeah, so I think uh, the let's start at the top, which is uh, something that we, we were talking about last week, which was Attorney General Bill Barr um, weighing in on the prosecution of Roger Stone or the sentencing of Roger Stone. And then subsequent to us recording our podcast last week, uh, did an interview where he said that Donald Trump's tweets about these things makes makes it impossible for him to do his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that uh, now there's there's a rumor that he's considering resigning because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you make of that? The moment I saw this interview, William Barr is a pretty uh, impressive in his presentation skills. Uh, the first thing I thought, everyone was going, wow, Barr's speaking out against the president. Now, this is a week and there's time mm. to look back on it and sort of get a different view of it. But immediately I thought to myself, this is William Barr setting himself up with more power in a way. Not against President Trump, but with the American people. Because what he's saying in this interview is, I don't want to be told what to do. It's giving me, it's making it hard for me to do my job, as you said. But really what I thought immediately was... Here is a guy who is working in concert with Trump to say, hey, look, I'm pushing back against the president. Everything I'm doing is what I want to do. I'm even telling this guy in public, which no one else is willing to do, that what he's doing is wrong. So then I can have the credibility moving forward to say, hey, look, I already told the guy. I told the guy I'm an independent actor in this world, even though he is anything but. He is following the Donald Trump playbook. But by doing this, what he's doing is giving himself credibility to make all these choices for Trump moving forward. Yeah, let's uh, and to be clear, I think you and I are on the same page as this. When I first heard about this, because I didn't see the interview, I, I first saw it as you know the news tickers started going up and headlines started going up. Uh, Don, you know, Bill Barr speaks out against Donald Trump, and I'm reading this and I'm saying, wait. I need to see the whole thing in context because yeah. I don't buy it. I don't buy yeah. the way that, that the media bought it hook, line, and yeah, sinker right I away. I not believe they did. Because what you're saying about him saying this gives me credibility is that this is all set up by Bill Barr. Yes. This is not him saying I need credibility. This is him saying, Donald Trump, you know, shut up so that I can do your bidding and make it look like I'm at least following the rule of law here. You're making it harder for me to give that appearance that I'm doing that, even though you and I, wink, wink, know that I'm doing what you want me to do. Wink and a nod, baby. This is a wink and a nod situation, and that's what I think. I think it was set up from the beginning. I don't. And everything that's come out since then, including these rumors about him (laughs) thinking about resigning, all a complete setup. I I cannot believe anything other than this. And anybody who 
gives any credulity to Good this word. story has not been paying attention for the past three years. Right. That's okay. We are on the exact same page on this then because I'm telling you and I'm watching it and I'm watching the, I think it was meet the press daily and everyone's like, wow, look at this. And I turned to my wife and I said, this is a setup. Like, are they not seeing that this is a setup? The media buying this? It seemed, and this was at first blush because it was quite shocking. I mean, here is a cabinet member who is coming out and calling the president to the carpet. However, the president came out with a statement or the press secretary came out with a statement later that night saying, I, William Barr has my full support. There's no, I have no issue with William Barr. It was like, well, then what are we talking about here? There's yeah. the, and why couldn't he go to the president himself and say this if he really, if it wasn't for public show? Right. Right. This is, again, uh, I and again, this is about what happens after the impeachment. Yes. Yes. This is That's right. Trump unleashed. Yes, this is Trump Unleashed, and we're going to get in the, our Guardians of the Week, which we're going to have a little shift on this week. We're going to get to uh, what Ben Sass said about all this. Yeah, ben Sass, okay. Hold, yeah. hold your fire on Ben I'm, Sass. I know, just, you wanna, not, I know you want to spit that name out, but I want to nah. spit the name out Susan Collins because, again, here's the lesson that Donald Trump learned from impeachment, Susan mm-hmm. Collins. We're seeing it in full display. This yeah. is the rule of law exists no more. I was driving my children to school and and there's a section of the drive where it's a lot of traffic lights as we're driving and i'm seeing red light and i stop at the red light and i see somebody on the other side who stops at the red light going the other way and i thought hmm this is the rule of law mm-hmm. it, it there's no i mean there's a law that says don't go through red lights but it's also an understanding that we don't go through red lights by breaking down the rule of law the way that we are the equivalent on the road would be someone just going yeah i see the red light i'm going through anyway and try to stop me and then we could say, well, a police officer could come along and could give you a ticket. Yeah, but if you're in with the judge and you know that you can get that ticket wiped away, I can go through that red light whenever I want. Right. That is the beginning of anarchy in our country and in our system. And that's what it feels like is happening as we move forward. And why, you're right, we have to start here every episode. Because we, as guardian, as our show is talking about being guardians of the republic, the republic is being stripped right now. You got to stay on alert. This is these are the the things that start adding up, and you cannot take anything at face value. For example, the pardons, yeah, and commutations of sentences that Donald Trump issued after his own impeachment. There were seven pardons and four commutations. Now, if you look at the entire list of eleven people who were granted some clemency, there are a number of nonviolent offenders on there, people who had drug possession or stole a car when they were young and then turned their life around and are contributing to society. But that's all the setup for the high-profile ones like former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, junk bond king Michael Milken, Bernie Carrick, uh, and others who were given, you know, the, the wink and the nod that, you know, this is, you did, this is Donald Trump saying, you did things that I would do if I could mm-hmm. get away with it. And you sh- now you can get away with it because I was freed from impeachment. And that means all those rules don't apply anymore. And, and to use the red light <laughs> again, this is him going through a red light. In New York City, there are different areas, right? There are different areas that are crowded. They're not crowded. And, and it is what it is. But this is sort of going through a red light on West End Avenue and 85th Street. Not very busy. Nobody's, nobody cares. It's boom. When President Trump pardons Roger Stone, 
and Michael Flynn. Which is going to happen. Without question. And Paul Manafort. When those happen, that's going to be going through a red light on 42nd Street and 7th Avenue, Times Square, going through the red light. And we've already established that I'm allowed to go through the red light. I can do what I want. We already established that with these other commentations and pardons that we just did. So here I am. I'm just doing the same thing. And I am the, what did he call himself this week, Patrick? He called himself the chief law enforcement. I am essentially the chief law Mm -hmm. enforcement officer of the United States of America. Like Kim Jong-un. Yeah. I mean, pretty much, right? uh, It's not just enforcer, the interpreter. Yeah. And creator. Of the laws. The laws so are what I say the laws are. You know, it's it's one thing when we start pardoning and, and he's been saying that all along, by the way. The president can do what he wants. Yeah, now he's Article also saying the president... Right. Right. The president can also allow everybody else to do what they want. So, so the, you know, it's been... I, 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 this is the thought. <laughs> it's one thing to start pardoning your friends. What happens when he starts jailing his enemies? Right. Right? What, what happens when that happens? When people who speak out against the president end up in jail that's that's the logical next step after he pardons all of these people that's some real breakdown of the republic stuff going on yeah yeah i mean it's 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 incredible and and the question is who benefits from all this it's certainly not the democrats um and we'll talk more about them and what happened in that debate but uh, i you know again we trace this back who benefits? And it goes all the way to Moscow. Okay, well, see, so so you said that. Okay, it goes all the way to Moscow, yes. Who, Richard, because, who, because, you look at it, who else is benefiting here? Is it is it the America, is it the middle class America? No. Or the Democrats? No. Uh, you know, is it, are, is it the re, old Republican Party? No, that doesn't exist anymore. No. Uh, so who is actually going to come out on top? And okay, again, so Richard Grinnell... Just was named, who is the ambassador to Germany and who is a attack dog for the president um, on Twitter and on Fox News. He was just named the head of uh, national intelligence, right? Is that is that the proper is that the the proper title? Yeah, I think so. I it think was so. Dan Coates' former position. Right. He's a friend of Donald Trump Jr. Director of national intelligence, I think. And is. it's an incredibly important job, apparently. I mean, Dan Coates was there, and people were comfortable because Dan Coates was there, a great patriot. He, we can remember Dan Coates sort of responding to the fact that Putin was going to be coming to the Oval Office, and he goes, "Oh boy," you know. I mean, things like that. It, what you just said about Russia is the first thing I thought about Richard Grinnell. Go into a baseball analogy just for a moment. If the Houston Astros. The manager of the Houston Astros, and we're making Russia the Houston Astros, and the New York Yankees, we'll make them the United States. If the Houston Astros could say could get their guy to be the manager of the New York Yankees, wouldn't the Houston Astros try to get the New York Yankees to play their worst players and to strip their team so their competition would be less? That's the that's the underlying question here. If Donald Trump is there to help Russia, wouldn't putting Richard Grinnell Beyond it being his friend and he'll look past anything else, wouldn't Richard Grinnell be a weaker head of national intelligence? That's certainly what what the people are saying, is that he is a weaker head of national intelligence. That, and that's is, that, is that, that an overstatement, that, Patrick? No, I, I don't think so. I, I, don't, I don't know everybody's bio so far, but if you look at the trends, all the turnover that's happened in the, in the Trump 
administration. He started out with people saying, appointing people <clears throat> like Mattis and Kelly and people saying, oh, at least there'll be a check on Trump. At least there'll be a check on Trump. And then they couldn't be a check on Trump. And so what happens? Every time those positions get refilled, they get refilled with somebody who is less independent, who is less capable, less qualified. Mm-hmm. And uh, makes the country weaker yes. at every at every step and at every turn. And if Donald Trump's allegiance is to, not to America first, but to himself first, this is the kind of thing that you would see. Because Russia certainly likes to see us weakening our team. And our team is weakening everywhere. Mm -hmm. That's just what's happening. Which makes Russia stronger and gives them a chance to come back to a, quote, superpower in our future. So that's what's going on in the administration. And I think we see this more and more. Uh, We have the story... Uh, well, let's go to Assange right away. Yeah, let's go. That's exactly to, where I wanted to go. Is very good. Th- this story about Julian Assange, because this just came out in London this week, uh, that he's fighting extradition from London to the U.S., and his lawyer said that he was promised, Assange was promised, a pardon or some other way out on the instructions of the, of the president if he would say that the leak, the WikiLeaks information that uh, they got about the DNC emails were not from Russia. If he would say that, he would get a pardon. The person who promised this to him was a former congressman, Dana Robacher, who lost in 2018. Uh, He was a Southern California congressman, although many people consider him as the uh, member of the House of Representatives from uh, Moscow. Uh, He had that reputation. Now, Robacher says that he didn't make the proposal on behalf of the president, and he did it on his own own initiative. Although knowing Rohrbacher and what we had seen of him in public, I find it very easy to believe that he went in there and made that promise and said he had Trump's backing in making that promise. Whether he did have Trump's backing or not, the Trump administration denies that they even know who this guy is, and that's not true. But this is how bad this is getting. We get back to this rule of law and how Russia is benefiting, is that you have members of the United States House of Congress working on behalf of Russia. And Kevin and, and Kevin McCarthy said, before Trump was elected, he said, I, I, if I know, and I'm, I'm misquoting here, but the essence of it was, I believe there are two people who are being paid by Vladimir Putin, Dana Rohrbacher and Donald Trump. Yeah. And now here we have Dana Rohrbacher speaking on behalf of Russia to try to, because essentially what they're saying is, Russia had nothing to do with this. So we can say that Russia had nothing to do with election interference in 2016, which then opens the door wider towards 2020 and election interference. It is shocking. There are moments where I'm watching the news or I'm reading something on Twitter where my, like all the blood leaves my face. Yeah. I'm just like, oh my God. Because the more that we find these things out about how the administration, and of course we don't know how much of this is true because it just came out in a court uh, filing from Assange's lawyers, but it plays into or or coincides with a narrative that's been developing that suggests that the more that that the administration pushes back against Russian interference, the more we're finding out that the Russian interference was much deeper than we even knew about. Yeah. Uh, Now, in in the elections across uh, different states and, and what they were trying to do. And that is really scary as we head into 2020. Now, you have something here on Radio Sputnik in Kansas City that also relates to Russia. Well, this is because this is what I want people who are our listeners to be aware of. You know, we talk we talk a lot about what happens at the top. 
what's happening in the White House and around the White House. But we need to be aware of what's happening outside. So this is what's happening in your own state's election processes and what is happening in everyday life. So this, I came across this and it just, just floored me. So there's uh, this, these radio stations out in the Midwest, Alpine Broadcasting Corporation. They run jazz stations and all these other kinds of things. So it turns out what they're doing is they're selling their airwaves in the evening to Sputnik Radio to espouse Russian propaganda. There's a guy named, and I'm going to give you the guy's name because he needs to be outed here, Peter Chartel, the owner of Alpine Broadcasting, who is making money off of running insidious Russian propaganda in the Midwest. These are the kinds of things that are happening, folks, and you don't realize it. Because because the impeachment process went through the way that it did, and because when Adam Schiff is up there begging senators to do something about this, the reality is there's nothing and no one can stop it. There's nothing right now, it seems, that can be done. No one will step forward. They had their chance to put a check on the president, not even to impeach him, but to, to put him through the process, and they refused to do it. So there's no going back, Ben Sass who we'll get to later. There's no going back, Susan Collins. Lamar Alexander, of all of your years of service to this country, you will be remembered for your final vote. Lisa Murkowski, this is on you. Cory Gardner, Tom Tillis, John Thune, Ben Sass. That's why we're here. You know, I walked out of um, an event where I was uh, listening to a historian who was talking about the relationship between Washington and, and Franklin and just how unique those two characters were and how well-respected the two of them were and how they worked into a partnership where neither one of them was the junior partner and they each brought something to the table and recognized the other's skills and everybody around them was just drawn to them. And certainly, I don't know whether we have that th- those two figures around today and we certainly need them, but... When we were walking out, I heard a couple of people comment. You know, people say that th- these things are bad, but th- things have been bad in the past, and you know we've gotten through them. But I don't think they really fully get this. There are folks out there who don't fully get this. Yes, we things have been bad, and we've gotten through them. The Civil War, the Great Depression. Uh, there have been things that we've gotten through. But if you look back in history, there were those points during those incidents where we were a knife's edge away from things turning out in, in a different direction. We were a knife's edge away from uh, demagogues like uh, uh, Father Coughlin getting the hearts and minds of, of too many Americans during the, during the Depression. You know, we were a knife's edge away, and we're back there again. It could have turned out differently back then, and it could turn out differently today if we are not on guard. That's what's important. So okay. keep, keep attention because it's not just happening in the White House. It's happening in your local radio stations across the country. It's happening in your local boards of election. Got to keep on guard. Let's move on now, Patrick, um, to polling, um, to our polling section. Uh, you, you mentioned there's not been a lot of polls on impeachment. Is that correct? Right. Remember, I was talking about this last week. We had our poll out at Monmouth, uh, did a lot of uh, questions on impeachment because we wanted to find out what do people really think? Well, how does this leave the country? Uh, Quinnipiac also asked some questions on impeachment. Since then, there have been a couple of national polls that have asked maybe one or two questions on impeachment. That's it because everybody is concerned about uh, the, the media can only pay attention to the horse race and, and those kinds of things and not like the underlying fundamentals of what is driving the public. One question that I found uh, from the NBC Wall Street Journal poll was, uh, how, how's Trump's actions been? 
uh, since uh, impeachment. And 20% say they've been appropriate. 54% said not appropriate. And what did the other 26% say? Did they and they just said say, they, don't, they don't know. They don't have a pay. Okay. Right. Well, that's not... Actually, is, doesn't that poll give some hope in a way? No, it just simply means that they're not appropriate. And, you know, it's a lot of it is, remember, we hear from some supporters of Donald Trump that said his behavior is not appropriate, yet they'll let him get away with it. Well, okay, so this, but, again, breaks down on party lines. This is that the divide is there. And what bothers me about this is that, you know, there was one question just like this in ABC, Washington Post, the NPR Marist poll didn't ask anything about impeachment. It's... Uh, there's a lot more that we really need to understand about the public. Going to your question is, well, what does this really mean? Is, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Well, we don't know if we're using polling only to figure out whether Mike Bloomberg is ahead of Bernie Sanders instead of finding out what is the underlying fundamental belief of the American public. But wait a second, system. Patrick, it's right here. It's, I mean, this poll to me is more indicative than it tells more of the story. You know, we have 33, 33 to 37% of Americans who just are wearing the red hats and are 100% on board with President Trump. You would think that that number would be higher on the appropriate side. That not people wouldn't say, well, I'm not sure, that they would just be backing him completely. So the fact that 20% of them, only 20% say that it's appropriate, actually does give me a little bit of hope. And that 54% are saying, no, it's totally inappropriate what he's doing. Obviously, I, I hate to shoot you down here, Ian, shoot, because go I, ahead. Know, no, I know no. you want to be, I know you want to be optimistic about this. But because that's the only question they ask, you really can't say whether your interpretation is correct. I did ask more questions in our poll last week and found that. That the reason why that's 20% instead of 33% is because the other 13% are like Bill Barr and saying, just shut up. Don't tweet. Don't talk about it so we can get away right, with maybe, what you're doing. Maybe, but at least, at least in my, to, to my eyes, that 54%, look, man, I'm looking for the optimism wherever I can find it, <laughs> especially after what happened last night. So, you know, that, that 54% not appropriate is something that maybe whoever the Democratic nominee is going to be could could build on. I mean, because it's happening, you know, it's happening right now. We're watching it happen in 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 the most brash and bold way one might imagine. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, so I've been like railing on polls about the horse race and whatever, but yeah, let's talk about uh, the, the Democratic nomination. Nevada's coming up on, on the weekend. Mike Bloomberg was in his first debate. So we had a Ooh. whole bunch of things. So I got some polling stuff here that I will talk about. And the reason being is because at the end of the day, if Donald Trump is not going to be the president, in 2021, it's going to be one of these folks. Most so, likely, yeah. although Michelle Obama could come in and save the day, or yeah. Oprah Winfrey, someone. You never yeah. know. At, at, the, at a brokered convention. But, right, correct. Um, all right. Which I've been calling for for a year. Go on. Right. So, but uh, the Nevada and South Carolina polling, who knows? Um, the Nevada polling in particular, very difficult to, to know what's going to happen uh, right now. So I, I need to wait for the results. Uh, there are a lot of fake polls out. Not a lot of fake polls. I, I, there's one that I think might be fake that's, that was out there. Uh, some polls are including Bloomberg in South Carolina, but he's not on the ballot and you can't write him in. So the polling is not great. I uh, did some polling this week on some of the Super Tuesday states because I wanted yeah. to look ahead. So there's two key states that I thought, well, they'd be giving me different pictures. And so let me look at them. One is Virginia, uh, which is you know, kind of the, the the old Dominion state there that was key to the 2018 blue wave. And when I looked at that, we had basically a three-way tie, 22% each for Sanders and Bloomberg, with Biden right behind at 18%. Then I also polled California. Fresh numbers are just coming out. 24% for Sanders, followed by 17% for Biden, 13% for Bloomberg, 10% for Warren, and 9% for Buttigieg. 
<laughs> so let me just like play this out. If this, this holds up and this race remains crowded, you have to have 15% of the vote in each congressional district and statewide to get any delegates from those congressional districts or from the statewide delegates. So if you look at our numbers in Virginia, it's only three that are above 15% right now. In California, only two, Sanders and Biden, are above 15% right now. That means Bernie Sanders can win 24% of the vote in California and get over 50% of the delegate hole. Yeah. That's how, the, if, rule, that's how the rules work. Indeed. And if, but, but then Biden would get, under these terms of 24 for Sanders and 17 for Biden, 13 for Bloomberg, right. Biden would get the other 40 right. some odd true, percent. True, true. I mean, that, that would be the split. But the I point, mean, we're, we're, but we're setting up for but a the situation. Point, or, or let's put it another way then, that two candidates who got 40% of the vote would get 100% of the delegates. Whereas candidates who got 60% of the vote would get no delegates split among them at all. Which is why we're in 2016 situation with Trump versus Rubio, Bush, and, and that whole gang, Santorum and the gang, because it's Sanders and everybody else right now. I mean, maybe Warren digs into that support a little bit. It's possible. It's not impossible after last night. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's Sanders. Uh, he's, he's running ahead of the, of the pack, and nothing we saw last night is going to change that. All right. So that's where we are right now. Let's move on to talking about last night's debate. Oh, yeah. Can it's, we please? In, yes, just, in our hot oh, ta- we'll do it in our hot take segment here. So we are going to take 90 seconds to discuss how each of the contenders in the Democratic debate in Nevada did. And when you hear this sound, it'll be time to move on to the next candidate. So the first one we have up is uh, the new face on the, on the street, Mike Bloomberg. Wow. Boy, did he get killed last night. I mean, the man got destroyed. And he should have been and ready for this. He should have been ready for this. And it shows his. It shows a weakness on his part as a candidate. And it comes from 40 years of being the most powerful person in any room that he's in. He, he did not know how to... I mean, Elizabeth Warren just destroyed him. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, one of the things... For example, let's take stop and frisk. So he's been giving an answer on the stump and in meetings with... Uh, African-American leaders on stop and frisk where he says things like, it took me too long to realize that this was wrong. Um, and when you get no pushback, you can leave it hang like that. Yeah. So now he entered a field uh, or entered a, an arena where guess what? People are not going to allow you to just say that and move on. You have to say something else. And, and so when they kept pushing him and Elizabeth Warren was the one who pushed him, yeah. uh, which is, it's not like what, it's not, that you did too much of this. It's that you did it in the first place at all. Answer that question. Apologize for that. Yeah. And he, he was just clearly not used to somebody talking to him like that. Those first 70 minutes of that debate, he was he was as scared as anyone could be on. He looked like Beto O'Rourke, actually, to go back right. to where Beto was. I mean, he was a weak candidate. And in the last 50 minutes, he sort of found a little bit more of a stride. I think after he went outside for the commercial break, if someone is close enough to him and said, you're getting your butt kicked out there, you better step it up, then maybe that's why he was able to move forward. But it was yeah. it was a disaster. A, one, one quick thing is one of the things you got to remember when we've been talking about these candidates, going back to the very first debate, every one of them had a bad first debate the first time on stage you need to get your footing and this was the wrong time for somebody to have their first debate all right so uh elizabeth warren well elizabeth warren last night 
really scrambled the eggs everywhere she went. I mean, she took out her, she took out a stick and just hit everybody over the head, except for Bernie Sanders. And I texted you about 20 minutes in and I said, she's shifting to the VP slot for for Bernie Sanders during this debate. You didn't agree with that, but I I still think think that there's something to that because she went after Pete, she went after Amy, she went after Bloomberg, she went after Biden. She did not go after the front runner. Right. Well, she did in terms of the behavior of his followers. Even that which is was light. It was, it, was, it was light compared to what she did elsewhere. But I got the impression of somebody who's not auditioning for VP right now, who was riding high in the fall, thought, you know, had a shot at this and is now one more single digit performance away from oblivion. And I think that's why she came out swinging. I think she came out strong. I think that if Nevada, 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 thank you, Nevada, if Nevada has not done too much on the early voting side, she looks like the best alternative. And apparently to, they have done a lot, though. That's yeah. the problem, is that apparently yeah. there's already 80,000 votes in on the early voting side. One other thing, when I was polling early voting in some of these uh, other states, Iowa, that was originally going to do that, is that that actually helps moderate candidates more. Because it's old people who do early voting because they don't want to show up in in a caucus room. Okay. All Uh, right. So that might not help her. You know, actually, Joe Biden might be helped by this early voting more than anybody else. Getting to Joe Biden, who had, I thought, his, similar to what you said about Elizabeth Warren, sort of on his last stand, Joe Biden came out swinging last night and was good. It was good, Joe. Yeah, I thought he was was pretty good overall. I I think he could have been better, but uh, I I thought it was a strong thing, case that he was making that, look... Let's go back to where I started this campaign, which was I'm the only one who's ever done any of this stuff. Yeah, that's his best moment last night. His best moment last night was when he said, excuse me, I'm the only one who knows the guy. Yeah. You know, talking about the, the president of Mexico. Um, he, he was he Do you was remember really, his name, the president of Mexico? Do you remember his name, the yes, president of Mexico? Yes. Go ahead, you do it then. Go <laughs> I got you. Go, I go got ahead. you. So you should not be doing this podcast because you don't know the, the, the president, <laughs> President Obrador of Mexico. Okay, very good. You got me good. Um, Joe Biden, in his, in his space last night, he came out with righteous indignation at Mayor Bloomberg, took it right to him and said, yeah, you may have billions and billions of dollars, but you've got all this in your past. And did not let go. It's it's interesting. These people, the ones who came out fighting last night, were the most successful. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and a lot of them came out fighting. I, I think they realized with with uh, Mike Bloomberg on the stage, but also the fact that it's still a wide open race in many it's ways, except for Bernie Sanders. It's well, not. It is an open race with Bernie Sanders having a putative lead right now. It, but they all realize that this may be their last stand. They need to. They need a decent performance in Nevada. Uh, particularly if you're Klobuchar Buttigieg, who doesn't have a particularly good um, uh, name recognition elsewhere in the Super Tuesday states. Speaking of the clear front runner, as far as I'm concerned, Bernie Sanders, what did you think of the night that he had? Clear, but not formidable yet. I think so. All right, formidable. We are, he's getting a quarter of the vote. I've been talking about this. The front runner in the Democratic nomination, after we have a few contests and looking ahead to the next few contests, is still only getting one quarter of the vote. Yes, so, which is dangerous from a, it's dangerous from a general election right. standpoint. But yes. with everyone else splitting the other seventy five percent, that twenty five percent is huge, just like Trump was right. in twenty sixteen. But I've said this every time we've talked about a Bernie Sanders performance in a debate. Bernie Sanders was Bernie Sanders. Yeah, he is always exactly who he is, which is his advantage. Yeah, it which is, is his, it is what makes him because what that, makes he's him authentic. so appealing. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, I had a moment last night where I thought to myself, you know what? We got very little shot of beating Donald Trump, especially after watching Bloomberg flail up there. Um, that I thought to myself, like, well, at least with Sanders, we have somebody who's going to be swinging, you know, throwing punches because he'll he's willing to throw a punch and he's willing to take a punch. I do think that his medical history, if I were on one of those campaigns, if I were Bloomberg, I would just send out every ad about Bernie Sanders not releasing his um, medicals. Also, back to Bloomberg for one second, him not releasing his taxes is absurd with the current president saying, I'm getting to it. It's hard. No, 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 no. No, you've been in this race at least for 10 weeks now. Get those taxes out there, sir, if only so that we can pressure the president. Although that would never pressure a president. So. No, there's no pressure there. No. Okay, let's move on to uh, Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. Oh, Mayor Pete. You know, there were a couple of moments last night where I was like, hey, look at Mayor Pete. <laughs> he's, he's really smart. He's a really good communicator. Going back to the original question of who's the best debater, Mayor Pete, Elizabeth Warren, two of the best communicators, again, on that stage. His little snit that he got in with, with, um, with Senator Klobuchar did him no favors, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, like you getting on me for not knowing the president of Mexico and questioning whether I should be, you know, on the podcast is the same question he brought to Amy Klobuchar. It was petty and he lost some ground as far as I was concerned. By the way, when that happened with Klobuchar, uh, originally, I couldn't remember the name of the president off the top of my head. I kept thinking <laughs> Vincenti Fox, which was probably right, three was, presidents ago, right? It was. That's right? three presidents. But I, I think Buttigieg's best best line, and I usually don't grade on lines, but I think it was important because it underlines exactly where we are in this history. We have a Republican Party that is no longer the Republican Party. It's the Trump Party. And what Buttigieg pointed out is that you have one candidate who wants to burn this party down and the other one who wants to buy it out. Yeah, it's true. And he's the, the only problem is... Everyone getting, it, it just gives Buttigieg another couple of points, right? Which takes a couple of points away from Bloomberg, which then, but Sanders doesn't lose any of that support. The only right. way Sanders loses any of that support is if Elizabeth Warren digs into some of that. That's the only possibility that I can see how he's not running away with this thing after Super Tuesday. If mm -hmm. he gets the California delegates, is there any polling on Texas? You know, I mean... Hmm. Yeah, there, there hasn't been a lot of good polling on Texas yet, so we'll see. Senator Klobuchar last night, what did you think? Yeah, I think, you know, her best debate performance was her closing statement in the prior debate. Yes. Last night she was fine because she wanted to come out fighting, really? but she wasn't, she wasn't comfortable. No, she wasn't She wasn't fine. comfortable in that fight. She wasn't fight. fine. She failed last night. Okay. She, she, got, she got, to me, she got hurt more than anybody on that stage besides Bloomberg last night. Now, the, I thought that the question from the anchor from Las Vegas was tough and hard, but Senator Klobuchar came off... Um, uh, angry, really angry, and feeling very put upon. And I just didn't think that that was a good look for her at that time. Maybe she was fighting for her life. Like you could literally see her thinking to herself, this is all going to slip away because yeah. of this one question. But the way she and Pete went at each other, I think they both lost support out of that. Yeah. Well, I think the same thing with Bloomberg about what I said about, you know, the statement that he gives on Stop and Frisk and nobody's asked him any questions until that debate. With Klobuchar, she had her comeback after she forgot the name of the Mexican president. And she would give that on her stump speeches and whatever, and be fine. Again, she gave it in the debate and with the assumption that, okay, then everybody will let her to move on. And of course, Buttigieg did not let her move on from that. And once that happened, you could see her face change. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That yeah. moment is what I'm talking about last night. I oh, think wait, that she... Pete, you're going after me for this? And you're not supposed to because I'm supposed to get a laugh and I'm supposed to be able to move on. And now I'm not. And now I, I tighten up, tense up. 
and yeah, don't, don't that's what it, I yeah. saw. It was it was a it was a tough moment for for Amy Klobuchar. Okay, let's go into and we're going to give ourselves a little bit more time on. Yeah, this I'm going to turn I'm going to turn off the clock for this last one here. <laughs> Good because because I, I know you want to talk about this. What overall? What do you think happened? Where, where do you think this is leading us and what happened in the debate? Okay, so overall, it smells like Trump in 2016. There was a, a Kellyanne Conway, your favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out with a tweet last night where someone from the far from the left came out and said, "Oh, this debate should go on for another hour." And Kellyanne Conway said something to the effect of, "That sounds good for us," you know, because people were just getting filleted on that stage, mostly Mayor Bloomberg. Uh, it, it becomes a question for me of who, to to protect if if you believe that Bernie Sanders is a recipe for disaster for the Democratic Party in 2020. If that is the true belief, which seems to be the belief of many moderates in this country, the question has to become, who's getting out now? And, you know, my, my mother, again, my mother, she calls me, she says, oh, that was a tough debate last night. I said, yeah, that was a really tough debate. She said, people need to get out. People need to get out. I said, yeah, but nobody's going to get out. Right, because and then everybody, she said, but it's everybody like King sees Solomon. that they have a, a non-zero chance. Right. So how are they going to get out? But then it becomes like King Solomon and the baby. You know that story where two mothers come with a baby and they say, this is my baby, this is my baby. And then King Solomon says, let's cut the baby in half and each take half. And the the, the non-mother says, that's fine. And the mother says, no, give the baby to the other one. That's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. If, if you're trying to protect yourself from a, a Bernie Sanders runaway, which is what it smells like right now. I don't see how, because Bloomberg's going to throw money at the problem. He's going to have to come back before that North Carolina, before that South Carolina debate and perform. If he was one to 10 at two last night, he's going to need to come up to a six or a seven because otherwise the, it's, it's just going to be a mess and Bernie's going to, Bernie's going to run with it. Okay. Two, I have two things uh, about this debate. The first one is the questions. There were no questions about the number one issue that we were just talking about earlier, which is the rule of law. Donald Trump, how do you deal with this? How do you take this on? There was a little comment that came up about Mitch McConnell and dealing with Mitch McConnell. And and I think Klobuchar was the only one who kind of answered it, but answered it in the old way of, well, we'll just take back the Senate rather than, you know, Mitch McConnell is nobody's friend, is not going to be anybody's friend. So how do you deal with that? But there wasn't anything about where are we as a republic? What's the status of the rule of law? The the moderators didn't ask anything about how you're going to beat Donald Trump and get folks to talk about that because that is the question on that everybody undecided, wants to know the undecided vo- democratic voters minds is the question is which one of you can beat donald trump and and the, the i think the the moderators dropped the ball on that and blair blair moonberg mayor bloomberg's best moment last night was when we were talking when they were talking about socialism and he said i just want to say there's no way that we're going to beat donald trump if we go down this route what are you, what are, what are we, nuts, right? That moment for him was his best moment of the debate. He has so many other moments that were so death, deadly to him otherwise, but that particular moment, because he was talking about what it is that everybody is questioning. Who can beat the president of the, the sitting president of the United States with this economy? Also, interestingly, Obama came out this week and sort of said, yeah, the economy started with me, pal. That was an interesting little moment. That was kind of unlike him to do, right? Did you catch that? Yep. So it, it seems like a a, uh, a bad situation for the Democrats. So here's the other point that I want to make about the debate. Then is so you talked about it being deadly to uh, Bloomberg. 
The debate was on February 19th. Mike Bloomberg does not appear on a ballot until March 3rd. What happens in Nevada on Saturday, South Carolina next week, will have a lot more impact on March 3rd and what comes out of that than what happened in the debate on February 19th. Okay, but let me say this. That section about the NDAs that Bloomberg suffered with Warren going after him and then Biden going after him, whatever amount of money he wants to put out there, there are voters in the Democratic Party who will absolutely refuse to back Mayor Bloomberg at this point because of yeah, that situation. We'll, we'll see, because it's, the question is how many of them are going to hear about this really, uh, how much of that is going to get out. Because the voters who watch the debates live are voters who have pretty much made up their mind. The undecided voters get their glimmer of what's going on from reports and clips. Now, the reports will certainly say that Bloomberg did poorly, and that'll be on their mind. But what's going to happen is Nevada's going to come out. It'll either give us a clearer picture or not a clearer picture about where Bernie Sanders stands or where these other stands. South Carolina will give us a clearer picture about Joe, Joe Biden. And then three days later, it's Super Tuesday. That's not enough time for those uh, other candidates to pivot and run major advertising campaigns about Bloomberg and his NDAs which is really what it takes to move voters and to inform voters about what's going okay. on. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I think that we're going to see it in the polls. I think that Bloomberg's support is going to drop. Um, I, I, I think that this debate was was really damaging. I respect your opinion that you think it's not going to have as much of an effect. Yeah, just, uh, there's just too many things that are happening. But also I think it, it emboldens Biden to stand longer, frankly. I mean, if you're, if you're let's say he gets third place in South Carolina, is he going to come up onto the stage on that night and say, you know, or second place and say, you know what, I'm out, guys. I, I, let me let me clear the path so someone else can oh, take I those think, votes. Yes, yes, he will. If he's If he's not first place in South Carolina, he will. Well, I he think if he's to. second place, he's going to say in three days, we'll see Super Tuesday and then I can get out. At which point Biden and Bloomberg split that vote along with Buttigieg and Klobuchar. And who knows? Well, guess what? We won't, we won't have to wait that long to, to find this out. I mean, we'll, we'll know in a couple of weeks. How okay. This is all turning out. This is the, we were, we're, we're now in, in the fast-paced part of this, this process, right? <laughs> yeah, we are. Uh, That's all right. true. So uh, let, we'll, we'll see that as it happens. So let's turn now to what is usually our Guardian of the Week segment. Uh, but in the past, and we did this once or twice early on in our podcast, uh, we looked at the opposite side. Right. We we were trying to figure out, okay, we have the guardian of the week. How can we do like who, like Lindsay, like, there were a number of times where we wanted to point out Lindsey Graham. And, and we said, like, what's the opposite of the guardian of the week? And I, the only word we could come up with, and it just felt way too strong. It was like, wow, I can't really do that. Um, is traitor to the Republic. And it just felt, I think for both of us, it was like, ooh, I don't know if we can go that far, right? Isn't that what you felt? Uh, I think it was more you. You were worried about using the traitor, the traitor of the Republic. I think as we've seen <sighs> yeah. what's happened over the past few weeks, uh, a few months, that that's not an inappropriate term to use. No, it's it's not. But it's also, maybe it's from my history of playing General Washington and thinking of Benedict Arnold being a traitor and to call somebody a traitor to the Republic. It just seems so, um, ooh, it's just tough. It's tough yeah. to call people out that far. But then last week on the show, I was calling Lindsey Graham a traitor. Um, I, was, I must have said it 16 times. So you called and said, what did you say? Uh, I said, you know, we've used the term. It's, it's out there. We can... I think this is where we are. There are people out there who have, who know better and should realize that what they're doing 
is undermining the fabric of our republic. So yeah. call them out. It makes me sad, actually. It so does. We're going to call somebody out, or you're going to call somebody out. I'll, I'll support you on this this week. So who is our traitor of the week to the republic? Oh, uh, it's so hard. That's really hard even to hear it. Um, we'll go with it. I, I may not be comfortable enough to do this further, but I, 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 will, I will go with this as the traitor to the Republic of the Week. This is a quote, and this is referencing back to the Attorney General uh, William Barr situation where William Barr is talking about how he's going to resign. Um, there was a senator who came out and who told the president, essentially, uh, that this would be a bad idea. So I'm going to read this. Attorney General Barr is a dedicated public servant who has earned his reputation for character and integrity. I hope the president sees that he, the American people, and the rule of law are well served by Barr's work at the Department of Justice, said Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska. Oh, man, that's as bad as Susan Collins learned a lesson. Ben Sass, who spends the whole impeachment process clammed up, doesn't say a word for months because March 31st is the day of his Republican primary date, didn't speak a sentence until Lamar Alexander came out and said it wasn't a really good phone call, but we're not going to, we're not going to move forward with impeachment. That seems like too much. Ben Sass came out and said, um, yeah, I agree. I think many of us agree with uh, Senator Alexander. That's, that was his only statement through the whole impeachment process. Well, now, in support of William Barr, Ben Sass says, I'm going to repeat it again, Attorney General Barr is a dedicated public servant who has earned his reputation for character and integrity. I hope the president sees that he, the American people, and the rule of law are well served by Barr's work at the Department of Justice says Ben Sass of Nebraska. Amazing. That is our traitor to the Republic of the Week. That's not unfair. No. That's not unfair. Not unfair. I, I, actually, now that I've said it, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Because he knows better. We've, t we've talked. We, I, I said it. He, knew, he knows better. And he's letting the Republic slip for his own personal gain. Because that was the point. The Guardian of the Republic is, the, is someone who puts the... the the nation ahead of their own personal political future. That's the point. The traitor of the week to the Republic is someone who puts their own political future ahead of the future of the Republic. Actually, it's totally fine. Yep. All right, All right. we're moving on to our final thought, which is a nice little uh, palate cleanser. It's a little piece of ginger after you've had that piece of sushi. So what is our final thought? Well, you thought might not be happy with this because my final thought is asking you a question. That's fine. <laughs> so about a, mo a month ago, we actually named as our kind of guardian of the week, yeah. uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner yeah. of Major League Baseball. And the reason why we did this is because it was an, at the time when he issued those uh, sanctions on the Astros right. about the cheating scandal is that it seemed like he was trying to uphold the rule of law. For now, baseball. as things have come out, it doesn't seem that way. And in fact, many of the, the major league players, the star players are saying, you let folks get away with this. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I, I'm of many different minds on this. I think Rob Manfred first is not very good at speaking in front of a microphone. <laughs> he, the, he, he is, uh, he, he, gets the flop sweats and gets very nervous. And he's in a terrible spot right now. 
uh, he's trying to keep his sport together when we have this absolute scandal <laughs> in baseball too. Isn't it sad? Um, I think it's really a tough spot that he's in. He, uh, he To get the information about 2017, he had to promise clemency for all, or immunity rather, for all of the players involved. He did. Now all the other players. It, it, it's turning into... Um, a bad situation for baseball. Uh, I feel bad. I feel bad for everybody but the Astros, frankly. Um, Stephen A. Smith this morning or yesterday said they should take away the World Series championship from 2017, which I actually do agree with, and that every game it's just a piece of metal. Well, yeah. Well, that's not that was that was too bad for Rob Manfred. He shouldn't have. He said that, saying, "Well, it's just a piece of metal and it doesn't really matter." But that piece of metal represents the greatness of baseball and the best team in baseball. Um, but Stephen A. Smith said that every game the opposing team should turn their back on the Astros because you shouldn't throw baseball. I, I would not say throw baseballs at Astros players. I think that's wrong. But they should be shunned for what they've done. Uh, and uh, I could get deeper into it, but they're, they're, there's one player who needs to be called out, which is Brian McCann, who is the catcher, who has spent the last 10 years in baseball, like legislating baseball. So if someone goes, hits a home run and dances around the field, right, Brian McCann will stand in front of him and say, that's not the way the game is played. You're not allowed to do that. And everyone always used to look at Brian McCann as sort of like the old principal in, the, in your elementary school where it was like, all right, well, he's probably right. They shouldn't do that. But wow, that Brian McCann, he's... He sure is got a lot of character and he sure is tough. Yeah. Well, Brian McCann was getting the same signals as everybody else and cheating to win his championship. All these guys, all of these Astros, one might imagine, are now looked at. Ah, the Republican senators should take a look at how people are looking at the Astros two years later, three years later for the choices that they made, because it just might be that those Republican senators will be held in the same level of disregard as these Houston Astro players are. Or maybe they should just simply today look at uh, folks like Mike Trout and others who are speaking up. Mike Trout, who is the best player in baseball, unquestionably the best player in baseball, who said that he's lost respect for these Houston Astros players. That's tough. Mike Trout's not a controversial guy. Uh, he's a, he's a nice man. He's yes. he's a man. He's he's a good fella from Jersey, from your from, state. from my part of the world. Yeah, he grew yeah, from up, your uh, part of the he, world. He, uh, I, and uh, Kellyanne Conway grew up uh, in the same part of the world. So <laughs> two out of three ain't bad for uh, yeah. for South Jersey. All right. So all that's right. it so, for this edition. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. So that's it for this edition of Guardians of the Republic. If you have any comments or thoughts for the show. Uh, anything that you want to talk about uh, Major League Baseball, Ian will be happy to entertain that. But please reach out to us on Twitter at GuardiansOTR. And please remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes on your favorite podcast app. And please give us a rating. Tell your friends and family so others can find us because people are finding us, which is good. Our numbers are definitely going up. So please let others know. Also check out our website at Guardians-Republic.com. Thanks for joining us. And we will be back with a fresh episode next week. See ya. See ya.